This podcast is not for the easily offended, victimhood enthusiasts, or those who take themselves too seriously, namely cyclists, conspiracy theorists, personal trainers, and other fanatics. Your Hobby is Shit is a nerd-free environment which strongly discourages dickheads from listening. Authorised by Sean Woodland for Your Hobby is Shit. Since day dot, humans have invented, inadvertently stumbled across, or tried to discover passions and stuff they're good at by having a go at hobbies. We might use them for pleasure, health, fitness, to combat loneliness, or to distract us from reality, all in the hope we can find meaning in our lives. Hobbies can be bizarre, addictive, psychologically revealing, and sometimes even beyond ridiculous. But, whatever your hobby, chances are, it's at the very least, a little bit shit. So listen in and prepare for your hobby to be exposed. I'm Sean Woodland, host of Your Hobby Is Shit. Uh, Welcome to all you loyal listeners. I found a little bit of time in between putting bikes together, jumping up and down on the recycling bin and hiding in the shit at a sneak in a short episode in the window between Christmas and New Year's Eve. I hope Santa provided you with everything you'd hoped for and gave all anti-vaxxers COVID. All hell broke loose leading up to Christmas in Australia and you might recall how I told you I spent the weekend before Chrissy catching up with all my old mates from Canberra and doing some gigs in the nation's capital. Well, it turns out the hugging, kissing and all that sort of stuff we did when we were pissed, it wasn't such a good idea after all. Who would have thought? Poor old Big Nuts, my legendary mate, came down crook three or four days before Christmas. And that's uncommon. This bloke, he's got the constitution of Keith Richards on meth, not to mention the duplex kidney to help cleanse his system. Not sure I've ever seen him crook before in 35 years. He's only ever vomited once, and that was from overdoing it at a Split Ends concert at Canberra's Bruce Indoor Stadium in 1986, I think. Personally, I quite liked Split Ends. It wasn't until they became Crowded House that they made me want to spew. Fucking dreadful whiny shit that was, like the wiggles for grown-ups. And don't think I'm slagging off Neil Finn either, because I'm not. Extremely talented man. All I'm saying is that when Fleetwood Mac last sacked Lindsay Buckingham, he was so fucking good that they had to hire two guitarists to replace him, one of whom was Neil Finn. Anyway, poor old Big Nuts, he tested positive to the dreaded Rona. Now, as someone who spent 36 hours closer to him than his wife, I thought I should get a test too. As you would expect, it turns out that I'm immune to COVID. Now, what we were able to ascertain is that uh, he contracted it at either my show or at the pub afterwards. And whoever it was that he contracted it from, I didn't come into contact with them. And by the time Big Nuts became infectious, I was back in Sydney. As things stand, I spent half my Christmas money on rapid antigen tests and also had a PCR which came back negative. Just as fucking well too. Uh, We had a great Chrissy Eve party for the kids at our place in Malabar and an even better Christmas night party for the adults. Though, unfortunately, there was an Irishman present, so none of us got to go to bed before four in the morning. Uh, One of the neighbours, poor bugger, he ruptured his second Achilles in two years last week and then tested positive to COVID on Christmas Day. Could be worse, I suppose. It could have been me. So Big Nuts and his COVID, he reckons he was crook for two days max. Uh, When I first spoke to him, I could could tell he sounded devastated. 
which again is rare for him. I suspected he was a bit scared, so I delved deeper and asked, are you okay? And I shit you not, he goes, so I was meant to have the work Christmas party tonight and was meant to hit the coast tomorrow. And that was all he was worried about. Brilliant. Remarkably, neither his wife nor two beautiful daughters have caught it and there's a chance we'll be rendezvousing on New Year's Eve on the south coast. Uh, when I spoke to him two days after testing positive, you'll be pleased to know Big Nuts was on the cans. I'd expect nothing less. Uh, well, that's also a big part of that to be because he was, he's not a dickhead. He was vaccinated. Uh, and as opposed to someone else I know who didn't get around to getting vaccinated in time and spent four months in intensive care, but thankfully has pulled through. And you would not want to begin to imagine the grief that that has put his family through. Interestingly, though, I'm another an anti-vaxxer acquaintance in Sydney who's been trotting out the idiotically cliched I'm doing my own research, I trust my body, the virus doesn't scare me for the past three months, has been too scared to leave home for the past week. Fucking yellow belly. Just to recap last week's hobbies, you might remember Nick, who's into 4 by 4 drumming and riding BMX as a grown-up. Well, it turns out Nick's into tattoos as well. He could well be a brother from another mother. Glad to be of service, Nick. And also, I just started reading Dave Grohl's book, uh, The Food Fighter's Legend, a much appreciated gift from my wife Lou. And within two chapters, he'd mentioned how his daughter asked him to learn or teach her the drums. And Grohl had no idea how to teach, so he, he put on ACDC's Back in Black. Good one for drummers to start with. I was on the money there, Nick. Anyways, good on you, mate. Yet another satisfied customer. Actually, Nick was so satisfied that he took the time out to uh, post some high praise on Instagram. And you wouldn't believe it, the moral beacons that they are judged his praise for your hobby is shit to go against community standards. What a bunch of softcocks. And this week, we got a few more requests. Joe reached out a couple of weeks ago and asked me to take a look at model planes and karate. Hobbies that he's into. All right, Joe, well, I probably would have kept the model planes one to myself, but part of me still respects your honesty. Uh, while the subject of Dave Grohl's book is still fresh in our minds, uh, he made a point with which I wholeheartedly concur. He said, I don't really collect things, I collect memories. Something to think about for all of us. So, Joe, what I want to know is why planes? Why not cars, boats, yachts or trains? Well, I can only imagine you like planes and probably hold them and run around the house making flying noises. Fair enough too. Who hasn't had fun doing that? I, I did briefly discuss model planes a few weeks back, uh, talking about Jeff the Chef bringing weird skulls out to plonk on the table every time he got a beer. My mate Chris saying, well, at least he doesn't collect model planes, which of course Jeff did. Uh, for those of you who've been dying to know, Jeff the Chef has all his teeth back after unknowingly vomiting them into a toilet at work after Melbourne Cup Day and then flushing them away. Actually, on the subject of Jeff the Chef, someone the other night was recapping a story how there was a group of us a long, well, a couple of years ago, snorting a uh, suspicious white substance, let's call it, off a plate one night, and Jeff the Chef was involved and he thought he'd give it a crack too. And a Four or five of us sat around and watched in wide-eyed amazement as Jeff spent the best part of five minutes trying to snort up a crack in the plate. Fucking brilliant. Okay, now, Joe, there's nothing wrong with model planes. I used to do them too when I was a child. Child being the operative word. 
Mine, they were quite shit, and I'd get glue everywhere and break stuff. Although, I've had a crack at most things, including changing my first ever washer on a tap yesterday, but minute detail isn't really my thing. So I just googled model planes so as to allow me to research this hobby with an open mind, and and the first thing that popped up was a Qantas 100th anniversary large model 787-9-9, 41cm centenary. It turns out that Jeff the Chef isn't the only weirdo out there who doesn't assemble his own model planes. Uh, this one weighs in at two kilos and comes in one piece. And it's only, would you believe, $148, reduced from 210 Costing you money not to buy one if you're a fan of Qantas. Uh, further down the Google results list, I was able to see model aircraft kits. And I, I reckon that's what you're into, Joe. And it sees uh, they're quite expensive, mate. The good old Lockheed SR-71A Blackbird, it retails for $173.99 at Metro Hobbies, a business I'm sure you're acquainted with. But that's nearly a dollar a piece, as it comes with 206 pieces. Not quite as expensive as cigarettes, nor nor as relaxing, I'd imagine. And if you're doing something so detailed, I'd I'd hope you either have no children or pets, or, or are lucky enough to have a shed or office that everyone else is barred from entering. Because I'll tell you what, Joe, I own fuck all, but everything I do own is the property of three other people, a dog and two birds, not to mention any visitors that enter my house. An example, Luke Heggie of Midflight Brawl fame, he recently gave me a Coca-Cola yo-yo for Christmas. Actually, that's not altogether true. I remembered he had a box of collectors tucked away somewhere and demanded he give me one, which he did. Uh, Now, Luke's a smart enough fella, and, and he gave me a couple of extra strings and said knowingly, You'll need these, and I wasn't sure how or why, but took them all the same, and he was right. Within an hour of getting the yo-yo home, the kids had fucked the string. Now, if I had a house where I was allowed my own space, where I could alarm the door or booby-trap the room so if they entered their eyes were sprayed with air guard or some such, this wouldn't have happened, Joe. My point being, if I spent the amount of time that you no doubt do making your little planes and one of the kids stepped on it or fucked it in some other uniquely, incredibly childish way, there is every chance I'd have a severe fucking tantrum and my entire family would ridicule me. Again. Uh, One thing of which I can be certain, Joe, you'll never run out of model planes to make. On the Metro Hobbies website, there is 176 pages of planes and each page has at least 30 planes on it. And I can tell you that amounts to fucking heaps heaps of planes. I'm not sure how long your model planes take to make, but I'd imagine it's a while. And and look, even though I I changed the washer on the outside tap quite easily yesterday, I still had to swear loudly a few times. So another question I'd ask you, Joe, is it really worth it, the angst, the frustration, trying to negotiate your little tweezers when you're hungover as fuck, dropping a bit on the carpet and it disappearing forever? I guess what I'm saying is that part of doing anything as a man, it involves spitting the dummy. And I'd imagine doing something as difficult as what you're doing would involve spitting the dummy quite a bit. Sure, the first couple of times, it is joyous to swear and fucking threaten imaginary, not inanimate objects. But after that, it must affect your mental health. My concern here, therefore, is you, Joe. I'm happy for you to do a hobby that really should be for children but it might be worth having a chat to your significant other or to try and establish if it's having a negative effect on you, your relationship or those who love you. You know, you might just want to start fucking watching more war movies instead, mate. 
In looking for the positives in your hobby though, Joe, I was struck by thought and perhaps you're like house painters. I've always wondered how the fuck they could do something like that every day and, and I realised it was because the fumes get them wasted every day and that possibly you model plane makers use a glue that does the same. And as a kid who sat on the petrol sink side of the car and had his head stuck out the window every time we went to the petrol station, I'm with you, Joe, if that's the case. I'll tell you what, though. A couple of years ago, I was fortunate enough to be sitting in the cockpit of a Hercules aircraft when it landed in Kabul Airport in Afghanistan. From memory, Luke Heggie was in the back as he was too scared to sit in the front. Now, Joe, I'm not too sure what model Hercules it was because I'm not a nerd, but it was a very cool experience all the same. And on the Metro Hobbies website that you're probably a life member of, all the various Hercules planes retail for only $89.99. Now, if you haven't made one already, go ahead, do so, send me a pic of it, and then I'll send you a pic of the real one that we were on, and we'll see which is more impressive. Uh, in case you're all wondering what I got Luke Heggie for Christmas in return, listeners, for the yo-yo, uh, you may recall that I've been trying to get rid of some of the embarrassing sporting memorabilia I crewed some 25 years ago when I was, you know, in my mid-20s going on 12, and one of those items was a signed Mark War photo, one which is probably worth less since it was bought uh, than when I bought it, or it was bought for me. Uh, last week, I, I snuck into Luke Heggie's bedroom and put it under his pillow, and the cunt still hasn't thanked me for it. Okay, Joe, on to karate now, mate. Look, because it's Christmas and you know, the festive time of year, and I'm feeling a lot of joy and love at the moment, so I'm reluctant to go too hard on you or your hobbies, mostly though in case you're really good at karate and might have been using it to suppress your internal rage for 20 years and are just waiting to unleash it on some smart-ass little arsehole. Otherwise, rest assured, Joe, I really have given it to you and your shit hobbies. I did uh, briefly mention karate, or as the goodies called it, Eki Thump, in the episode on violence a few weeks back. And the reason that I, I only mentioned it briefly is because I don't care how good you are at karate. If someone has a gun, you're fucked. Or for that matter, if someone sneaks up behind you, which is my preferred method of attack, and clubs you over the head, you, you're still fucked. Uh, my knowledge of karate, though, it's almost as non-existent as my expertise in the art form. I've never been to a karate lesson in my life, never needed to. Always had tough mates. Like in primary school, I had three Serbian mates who could all do karate and liked to, a lot. I remember one day this dickhead kid whacked me and out of nowhere came a punch and flying sidekick that sat him on his ass, and I never had to lift a finger in anger. And this little arsehole never hassled me again. I hung out with blokes who did karate for a bit when we were angry teenagers and they used to pick fights every week, which wasn't really my go, but most people aren't good bluers after 15 bourbon and cakes, and these blokes weren't much different. The first thing that strikes me about karate is that, indeed, it would be in your best interest knowing how to fight if you are going to dress up in a weird little jumpsuit like that. The karate uniform is called gi, which for mine is a little bit of a sissy name. Traditionalists argue, of course they fucking do, that the correct term is dogi or kakogi, depending on your point of view, or how tough you are. Uh, most people wear white geese, so from what I can gather, if you're really fucking good at karate, you get to wear a black one. I reckon if I did karate, my uniform would be brown, just <laughs> to be safe. The word karate means empty hand, which makes absolutely no sense at all. 
I would have thought it should mean full hand, some meaning a handful of someone else's hair, blood, fingers, or testicles. Uh, karate practitioners are really good at breaking bricks or blocks of ice. And the only problem with that is that ice rarely, if ever, attacks. And the only time you're likely to be challenged by a brick is when it's moving at about 30 kilometers an hour, having been thrown at you by a bikey. Uh, so far as the karate belts are concerned, it looks like they've been selected from the rainbow. So whoever chose the colours was probably also responsible for choosing that cute little uniform. Uh, if, if you want to get a black belt in karate, it should take about five years and require that you turn up to training about two nights a week. So in that respect, it's similar to amateur footy. And you don't really need to be very good <laughs> like me. As an alternative to karate, though, you could learn to run really fast or yell abuse out car windows like I did, take a few tips from Karate Kid, be preemptively violent at all times. Uh, When walking anywhere at night, always be sure to carry your car key protruding from between your fingers, uh, attack losers from behind, or do a black belt in Taekwondo, which only takes three years. Or only have, this is a better idea, have fights online, uh, which is the preferred method of today's coward. Online is even a safe space for nerds to bully people now, and don't they make the most of it. The long and the short of it is, Joe, that whilst the clever use of Japanese words and associations with ancient warriors sounds impressive and a roundhouse kick when executed by someone sober looks magnificent, none of it is any match to a close quarters headbutt to the bridge of the nose. First time request now, I received this message from Letty. It said, love today's podcast as always. Here's a suggestion. How about LARP? Live action role play. Medieval or American Independence War. And then she went on to say, this morning I chose not to swerve into four like clad cyclists riding two abreast on a narrow road. They didn't deserve it, but I didn't want to ruin their Christmas. Letty. Uh, brilliant Letty. For those of you who don't know, the little dig at the end with the pronunciation of Christmas was in regard to the Mid-Flight Brawl podcast where Luke Heggie once misspoke and said Christmas instead of Christmas. And I can assure you, Heggie misspeaking is as rare as rocking or shit, but the trolls and online bullies care little for that and have made a mockery of the poor bastard ever since. We live in a cruel world. Uh, Obviously, Letty, I had no idea what LARP was until you told me. Uh, For the rest of you, who I'd sincerely hope also have no idea what LARP is. It stands for Live Action Role Play. Fuck me. They dress up like fuckwits and replicate, say, medieval battles, uh, all sorts of different wars, historical ones, uh, or fictional settings represented by real-world environments. I get the fictional bit, but I think it's reality that these freaks have trouble with. Uh, most of us keep our live action role-playing to the bedroom, but not these little fucking nerds, no. <laughs> Instead of trying to eradicate their virginity, virginity, fucking virginity, they spend their weekends portraying characters and pursuing goals that really make you fucking wonder what's wrong with some people. These are the exact same people who become politicians and continue playing war games, unconscionably sending other people's children to war, putting them in harm's way. Uh, The same cowards who'd shite their strides and call the cops if someone let off a bunger out the front of their soulless McMansion. I guess this LARP shit is is an extrapolation of that tabletop Warhammer game we all had a laugh at a few weeks back. Jesus Christ. 
Uh, and doing my research today, laddie, this was my favourite bit that I found. And I quote, LARPs may be played in private or public areas and may last for hours or days. There is usually no audience, end quote. Of course there's fucking no audience. It's tragic enough that people do this shit. Imagine how screwed up you'd have to be to sit and watch it. Jesus. I didn't know it was called LARP at the time, but I've seen people doing this when walking the dog, running around in their little pretend knight's armour, carrying plastic swords and shields and shit. I was so tempted to liven things up a bit by sicking my dog onto them to add a bit of authenticity to their silly game. Grow up, you dickheads. The famous Sydney to Hobart got underway on Boxing Day. The creatively named yacht race is in its 76th year, first being run in 1945. And like golf, sailing is so many people that are really shit at it that they use a handicap method instead of just telling you who won the fucking thing. Uh, I remember as sitting in my granddad's house atop the cliffs in Dover Heights in Sydney as a child, keenly watching the yachts turn out of Sydney Harbour and heading south through my binoculars and thinking, fuck, that looks boring. Now, there is a danger attached to sailing, and in particular the Sydney to Hobart. In 1998, the race was marred by tragedy when several people lost their lives. Each and every year, though, there is a chance yachts and sailors will be exposed exposed to huge waves, high winds, or worse, getting stuck sitting next to some smarmy prick like Carl Stefanovic for the duration of the race. I may have mentioned on this podcast before that I went in a yacht race once and that I didn't enjoy the experience much because it was freezing fucking cold and quite dull. Not to mention that the fat fuck skipper yelled abuse at us the entire time when we couldn't even see another yacht. Uh, So it would be reasonable to say that I made a snap judgement and decided that all yachties were rich wankers. Only when I was hired to do stand-up at a sailing regatta on Hamilton Island a couple of years ago did I change my mind, and my mind is easily changed when groups of people love my comedy. These people are legends. I sat next to an older bloke and his wife, and the fella told me that he had written a book about the doomed 1998 Sydney to Hobart yacht race, so I bought it and read it. And it was scarier than that movie, The Perfect Storm. Turns out this bloke was in order of Australia, and despite his penchant for name-dropping, uh, Prime Ministers, he'd fucking met everyone. At one stage, I pointed to the floor and said, look, mate, I think you dropped something, a name. Uh, but <laughs> he didn't mention to me that he was an order of Australia. I had to read his book to find that out, and good on him for that. Unlike Ricky Ponting, former Australian cricket captain, who has it on his Twitter bio. Grow up, Ricky. No one gives a shit. You were good at cricket and have been kissed on the dick by a fairy. And remember, mate, Rolf Harris had an order of Australia too. In uh, 2021... Sydney to Hobart has again faced difficult conditions and I read that a quarter of the fleet had retired after 24 hours, proving that money can't buy courage. I've always believed that sailing is a rich person sport and many people have taken umbrage with that suggestion. That is, until I ask them how many people who grew up in Housing Commission have been on winning Sydney to Hobart yachts. At the time of recording, I don't know who, if anyone, has won the race. It's disappeared from the upper echelon of online news sites. It's almost like that when the race starts on Boxing Day, it's acknowledged as an annual ritual and the boats look really pretty sailing out of Sydney heads, so we pretend to give a fuck. And by the time the race gets to Eden, most of us have either forgotten about the race or remembered that they've never given a flying fuck about it in the first place. I'll tell you this, though. I'll bet you ever who... Oh, fucking slow down, bro. 
I'll bet you whoever won was really rich and had a big fuck-off boat. Okay, victim of the week time. No shortage to choose from uh, around this time of year when some of those among us like to wallow in self-pity rather than get on with the job. But rather than go with any number of shit sandwiches who complained about having to cancel or postpone holidays, they'd consciously chosen a book in the middle of a pandemic, I went for a more obscure victim. Uh, One whose story will become increasingly common in the coming months. Belgian kickboxing champion Frederick Sinistra died earlier this week. So unlike plenty of the sympathy soliciting scoundrels, at least he's a bona fide victim. Sinistra died of complications from COVID, which is, of course, sad, Sad sad-ish. Less so when you discover he discharged himself from hospital and was a rabid anti-vaxxer who claimed he could treat his symptoms at home, exactly like any normal person does soon after contracting a deadly disease for which there are perfectly good treatments in hospitals. Uh, As a fighter in the traditional sense, Sinistra was quite good. He won the Belgium kickboxing title four times and finished his career with a 39 win, 9 loss record. Uh, With the due acknowledgement that 9 losses is nothing to be overly proud of. Fighting his COVID symptoms at home proved him uh, a bit more difficult. And his record against COVID is 0 wins and 1 loss. And unfortunately, Sinistra won't be able to improve on his losing start against the disease. Well, because... It fucking killed him. Uh, This is despite him referring to COVID as the little virus and hair flu. Now, I'm not sure why he called it hair flu, which, and I'm a big enough man to admit, I don't know why, so help me out if you do. Uh, Anyway, Sinistra's wife announced his death on Facebook, where else? And she said, my husband was a generous man with a big heart. Not quite big enough, it seems. Uh, Who wanted to help others no matter what. Well, unless that Watt was getting vaccinated or trying to help his fellow citizens deal with a deadly pandemic. Frederick Sinistra, 41 years of age, gone too soon, avoidably. A man who a whole lot more people than me think use steroids, but then refuse to use approved life-saving medication. There's no helping some people. Uh, Good luck for the New Year's, people. May COVID allow you and your friends to really get stuck in. Uh, And be careful not to share vapes, ciggies, joints, notes or spit. Until next time, never forget, your hobby is shit. Thanks for lending me your ears for another episode. All going well, I'll be back next week with current news and some harsh but fair critiques of more shit hobbies. You know where to find the podcast. Please subscribe to and share it, or don't. I'll be okay. You can find Your Hobby Is Shit on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Your feedback, suggestions and abuse are all greatly appreciated. And if you're, for example, the manufacturer of a great beer like, say, the Immortal Pale Ale and you're looking to sponsor an enlightening podcast, I'm open to offers. Thanks again. I'm Sean Woodland, the host, writer, producer, editor and complaints handler at Your Hobby Is Shit. Okay, Boris, what was your favourite part of Christmas? My favourite part of Christmas was our neighbour walking into our fly screen door. <laughs> That's, that was, what about your least favourite part? Um, Big Nuts getting COVID so we couldn't go on holiday. That's right. Very sad indeed.
Yeah, Sammy, you pinched me yo-yo again. Shut up, Dizzy. <laughs> Respect. <laughs>